Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm Nelia Hutt. And I am so happy that you have come back again to join us for another episode. This show is all about learning and sharing and trying to make the world a better place. Today, I am so excited to have a new friend to me. His name is John Rankin. Now, John is, well, he was in the Special Forces for the last 20 years. He's a dad of four. And now he's been working in network marketing for about three and a half years. John is, was also a contestant on the show Play to Win, and that was hosted by Ray and Jessica Higdon of the Higdon Group. So I'd like to say welcome, John. Welcome to the team. Welcome to the show. It's nice to meet you. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad to have met you. Wow. Um, where do I start? So this show, this show is all about like personal development. It's a reality show. If you guys haven't seen it, I am dying to find out um, not just who wins the show, because that's not the important part for me. For me, it's seeing the transformations and it's seeing the growth for each person. I had Kyle on the other day and Kyle was also part of the um, was also part of the show and he was um, booted off second second go second episode but it doesn't matter because he still considers himself a winner so that's what this is all about so John I don't know how far you get in the show but man you're one of my favorites I have to say um, <laughs> some <laughs> some of the transformations and I can see how far you've come already and it's so brave to talk about your feelings, whether you're a guy, whether you're a girl, you know, but seeing as, you know, you're a bigger guy, right? You're in the military, you have all these, you know, and I find that those people are the ones like the teddy bears with the biggest heart. So it's just, I can't wait to ask you a bunch of questions. Good. Let's get into it. <laughs> Before we get started, is there anything you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, so, you know, so first, just, I, I mean, most, most of your viewers probably wouldn't understand the difference, but I actually was not in Special Forces, and I just want to clear that up because... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I, no, no, it's okay, uh, because to my veteran friends and military friends out there, uh, we, we protect that with, with you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of energy. Um, so I was in the regular Army, but I was an Airborne Ranger, and I've trained special forces for the last 20 years. Okay. If you're not a military person, you wouldn't know the difference, but- uh, But there's you know, a difference. But there is a significant difference. Okay, no, I'm glad you cleared that up because I don't wanna you know, give the wrong information. Um, I just do it because I, there's veterans, I'm sure that are listening and you know, 
we we take that stuff really seriously. <laughs> no, absolutely. Thank you so much, and yeah, thank no you problem. for your service. Yeah, I thank appreciate you. it. It was it was great. Uh, had a great time in the army. Had a great time training special forces for the last twenty years. Um, I've lived really in an amazing full life already. Can't mm. wait to see what's next. I know it's never over, right? And never. and you're a dad of four. Single dad of four. Yep. Um, went through a really traumatic and abusive divorce uh, almost seven years ago now. Um, one custody of my four kids through that process. Um, so uh, yeah, that's. Mm. Uh, think probably some of the hardest work I've ever done. Yes, yes. And uh, they keep you busy, I'm sure. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all four go to different schools. What? Not all four of them. So my older three are all uh, in the age category where they get to pick school. Okay. Smart. So all three of them are going to different schools. It's crazy. Oh, wow. I thought I was busy with one, but I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm not you. You're above that now. I'm not gonna, there's no place for me to complain. Yeah. So, okay. So I have a couple of questions about the show itself. And then I have some questions about you. But how did it feel being on the show? Like just being in front of the camera and all the logistics that go with it? Was it what you expected? It was easy. Was easy? For, for, for me, with my military background, plus I have quite a bit of TV and radio in my background. Okay. Not really any sweat at all. Um, you know, I was featured on the front page of the New York Times and I had 300,000 people that were extremely angry at me and calling me a terrorist. So this show was pretty easy. Oh, wow. So, Puts things into perspective, right? Yeah. yeah so. Like I said, you're one of my favorite contestants on that show. And I don't really like to use the word contestant because like I said, even though there's a prize at the end, it's like, I can see a prize at the end of each episode. Right. Yeah. So how I can see you transform from somebody that was more closed off to somebody who could find their voice. Right. And talk about some of the painful things and horrible things that you've seen, that you've been through. You talked about, feeling like you always had to be the protector in one of the episodes yeah the very first yeah how did it feel for you to always have to feel like that and did you even know you felt like that until things till you started to see things a little bit more clear yeah so i would have never said that prior to five or six years ago maybe seven um maybe just a little bit longer but it's been that way as long as i can remember um as a matter of fact, I've, I've taken trips all around the world. And because of my military background, because of the abuse in my life, because of all the various factors, I just have always been on alert, high alert. It's actually, you know, I wouldn't say I, nobody's ever diagnosed me, but it's on the lower side of PTS um, because it's hypervigilance, right? So no matter where I go, I know where I'm at. I know how to get out of there. I know who I'm with and I know what's happening in all aspects of that room or that space that I'm occupying. Um, I could be in a dead sleep and I know what's happening. So it's a second nature for you. Yeah, it really is second nature. And it really takes me a lot, even still, even after the show, like I've gotten better, I think. Um, but even after the show, it still takes me quite a bit to bring, and I have to do it intentionally, to bring myself down. Um, it's very difficult. 
And did that happen because of the training you had? Or do you think it started when you were a child, like the protection part? It started as a child. I was sexually molested. Um, as far back as I can remember, I realized that nobody was there to protect me. So I needed to protect myself. Um, started fighting at a very young age. Uh, I remember getting scraps in second grade with sixth and seventh graders um, because nobody else was going to stick up for me. So I would. Um, and that was all the way through my childhood, through my teenage years. And then I joined the military, which was some of the best things that have ever happened to me, but it also compounded that problem of not being able to ever be vulnerable. Yeah, you can't show that in the military. You got to hide it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I said it on the show. In my community, you never let them see you bleed. Ever. Yeah, I heard that was powerful when you said that, you know. But if you were to take, let's say, six of those soldiers and separate them they all have a story they're probably all suffering with that same thing where they they're they're made to for survival right i'm assuming because i'm not in the military but for survival you can't let your guard down yeah you can't and we're, we're broken down in boot camp and ait um and programmed that way right from the beginning so i think i think the bigger the biggest distinguishing kind of feature would be, were you emotionally healthy before you joined? Oh. And if you weren't, then it's just going to compound the problem of vulnerability and all those different type of things. And if you're emotionally broken in that way when you join, it's just going to shore that up for you, make it even worse or better, however you want to say it. And do you feel that that happened to you? Oh, for sure. Like the, the military was a second home to me. Um, you know, I thrived in a culture where it was about, you know, who's the best, who's the strongest, who's the fastest, who shoots the best, who fights the best. Um, and though I would say I was never the best at any one of those things, I was always in the top of all of those things. And so because I was able to be diverse. It really put me a leg up on a lot of people. It's a lot of stress, like having to be the best and having to you know, you don't have any time to do. And when you're not dealing with your emotional stuff from when you were a child for like 20 plus years that you were in the military, in the army, it, I don't know how you begin to do that because you have to unpack so many things, you know, and I'm not a therapist, but that sounds like a lot. And the fact that like we were saying second nature, you're always um, aware of your surroundings, no matter where you are, that's got to be exhausting. And you probably don't realize it because it's so, it, it comes to you so easily. But yeah. when you when you left, when you're, you're out of the army now, right? So when you left, is that when you started to be like, okay, so your habits are the same, right? Like you're aware and you're still in that place. But did you start to feel like, wow, that was a lot. And as you're starting to open up and open up, it's getting easier or no, eh? Um, that has been the way of my life for so mm. long. Um, I don't, I don't remember a time when that didn't happen. Um, and it didn't really start to unpack for me until 2009. Wow. So how was your life different now from 2000, like after that, after you started to being able to unpack it and look at it? Um, if you talk to my ex-life, probably not much. <laughs> <laughs> well, come um, on. <laughs> you know, um, it's been a real struggle, actually. And 2009 showed me that 
that people don't want a Superman. (laughs) Um, Which is opposite of what you were taught the whole time before that. Yeah. And, and still I have that issue. Like it, it is a constant battle for me in my own mindset. As a matter of fact, I was just talking with my coach the other day about a particular situation uh, where I'm frustrated because I'm a performer. Like you give me a task, I will get that stuff done if I have to chop off my right leg to get it done. And when I'm not seeing the results that I should be seeing, it creates a lot of frustration in me. And uh, my coach was like, shut up, knock it off. Relax, enjoy the process. You know, and I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do that. Like, and I really don't. Right. Uh, but you're open to it. You know, like when you say, when you say you're struggling, it's because you're putting in the work. If you weren't putting in the work, you'd still be pretending everything was hunky-dory and that's not healthy. Yeah, yeah. well, probably to most people I do, I still do just carry on with everything's normal. But with my coach, I've got to be honest, you know, I've got to, and so I've, I've been dealing with some of that stuff and, you know, to the outside world, you'd probably never know that, you know, things weren't going right. Even when I'm frustrated, I, I have been able and been taught to compartmentalize in such a way that this is my private life, this is my business life, this is this, and I can move in between all those boxes extremely well or extremely not well, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, it's so hard because you're taught how to put your feelings aside to survive. And then you're taught you can't survive without feelings, right? Yep. So yeah. I, I can't ima- I can't imagine. It's like you got to start your life all over again and unlearn everything. And-, yeah, and, and, you know, and it's not even just the military for me. So um, bless their hearts, they did the best they could. But my mom worked 12 hours during the day. My dad worked 12 hours at night. So I never saw intimacy. I never saw vulnerability. My entire childhood, right? Combined with sexual abuse, combined with physical abuse, combined with all the different factors that went into this, I've never seen that model. So, um, and I've been fortunate that I do a better job with my kids. Uh, they, they, I have a lot more intimacy with them. Um, but even with them, like, I can tell that it's not really what it's supposed to be, but I couldn't tell you how. I couldn't, I couldn't even verbalize. And I mean, even on the show, there were times where I, I was stuck. Like I couldn't, I like, I don't know how to describe this, you know? So. Yeah. Like if you don't have the tools and nobody shows you how it's just like when you're a kid and okay, this is how you eat. This is how you pick up, you know, this is how you have a shower. This is how like, you really do need somebody who does this professionally to help. Like all of us do really, we all need to be shown yeah i don't know like i heard like so ray in one of the episodes he said to you something that i was like i've said this before so i agreed with him but i don't know how you felt about what he said so he said that vulnerability is strength so when he said that i was like it absolutely is but it is so hard and that's why it takes really strong part right and when he said that, I could see your face and I'm like, okay, I couldn't tell if this guy was thinking, oh my God, they're going to force me to be open, right? Or, yeah, I get it, you know? 
I think I was probably somewhere in the middle, like, uh, to be honest, because I knew that to a degree, but it's so contrary to who I've become that it was difficult, right? Um, and not difficult because I'm like, yeah, screw you, Ray. Um, I don't want to do that. But more difficult because I don't know what that looks like. Um, you know, I don't know what that what life looks like living that way. Yeah, it was it was more of a okay. Like, now what? Now what? <laughs> you know, so, but you know what? It must have worked a bit because that's when you started opening up on the show. From what the viewers can see, you know, I yeah. wasn't in the background and and stuff we like that. But for so long, there's so much that happened that never made the light of day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's what I heard from the from some of the other people. So. Yeah. In the last couple of years, do you see yourself being able to let your guard down and just having an exhale and maybe not keeping it all? No. Still uh, no way. Eh? working on it, you know. Um, but you're working on it. Well, I mean, to a degree. So look, there's certain habits that I don't know that I'll ever get away from. I was out the other night uh, with a couple of people and they went to go sit down in the prime seat in the restaurant and I just looked at them and I go, I sit there. <laughs> uh, it's because it gives me the best view of the room. It, it's the best place to where our, if something were to happen, I can act. Um, that is like, I don't deal with anxiety on a, on a typical basis. Put my back to the room where I cannot observe what's happening. And I promise you, my heart rate is probably not in a good place. <laughs> so, like there's yeah. some of that stuff that I'm still, I, and I don't know that I'll ever get over that, you know? So. Yeah. You know, I have um, some family members that I'm in Canada. So I have some family members too, that have served over and they um, are now they're in their forties, but they're retired from the army and they all have PTSD. They've all lost friends due to suicide and they're all changed, you know, and not being part of the military I don't know what that's like, but it's pretty common what you're describing, I think, you know, um, having to be, and not because you want the best room in the place, but never having your back to things that you can't control, right? Yeah, that's hard. You said that you were in Guatemala during the yeah. <laughs> the revolution? Yeah. Okay, so I went to Guatemala in March and um, we were learning a bit about the area and I was, um, in a square and I forget what the square was called and there was a monument yeah and there was a monument there and I had a gentleman explain to me about some of the things that went on there and I was like wow this is in my lifetime yeah. you know and so when you said that it brought me back to that day where I was standing there have you yeah. been back to Guatemala since I have uh, I went a couple of years let's see that was I was there in 1996 got married I was there like four years after that five years later beautiful yeah. people down there eh yeah really nice people so I was up in Totonicapan up in the mountains okay so very different culture very I mean they're still speaking Quiche Indian and you know just a little bit of Spanish um there's another yeah, how do you say that Kichichel or something I said Quiche I don't um so when I was there talking, I would have to talk. They would translate it into Spanish. 
the person that translated from Spanish would translate it to Quiche. Yeah. So it was a pretty rough day. <laughs> yeah, I was down near uh, Panahachel. Okay. So we're down near there in some of the towns around the Lake Atitlan there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the people there are amazing. Yeah, they're, they're hard, hard working people. Yes, and they're so, the one thing I noticed was nobody was frowning. They're all in a good mood and they have nothing. Yep. Like yesterday, yep. there was a tragedy there actually, because I, I touch base with them all the time. And there was this boulder that fell down the mountain yesterday and uh, went through 12 cement homes and caves there. And there were four people that didn't, uh, didn't survive. And it's horrible because they already don't have very much. And, right. you know, but I can't go, I can't wait to go back there, but. I know that right now you're working in network marketing and I know that, so you've changed gears a little bit from being in the army. Can you tell me a little bit about what your purpose is now? So I know up until now you've been protect, you know, protector, right? So you've been always feeling like you have to protect. And I know that that's continuing. So what are some of the other ways today, like, and for the future that you want to protect people? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing is, is that in 2009, one of the things that really broke me open uh, was seeing the movie Taken and then that being explained that that's actually not a fiction, that that's a reality and that there are thousands of women and little girls that are being trafficked for sex uh, and it completely shattered my world. Um, I just never... Even before, when I was younger and I wasn't quite, you know, uh, a good person, I wasn't like crazy, but I wasn't really, you know, somebody that you'd want your daughter to date. Uh, I would have never in a million years thought of any of that kind of stuff. Um, and, and it really horrified me. And it really put me into super protector mode. Like I wanted to start hunting these people. And being a dad too, like, oh my God, you start to think. My daughter, my daughter was uh, two and a half years old when I saw that. Um, and I heard a story from somebody where they were actually raping a three-year-old girl. And it, it, and it just completely um, changed the direction of my life, I think. Um, from that point forward, I started fundraising for sex trafficking organizations. I've done courses for them. I've, I've uh, been sent to get certifications to go back and teach um, how to detect patterns uh, of lies, patterns of predatory behavior, um, some of those kind of things. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I'm on a board of an organization. Um, and then I started using actually my network marketing company to fly at-risk women out of the city they were in into a safe city. So it's really become something that I'm very passionate about, but due to the army, due to restriction on funds, I haven't been able to do as much as I've wanted to do. And one of my goals um, with network marketing is to make enough income that I can actually make a dent in that industry. Um, and instead of rescuing a couple of hundred girls a year, make it in the thousands, if not more. And, you know, and this, the, this, the human trafficking industry isn't just about sex 
um, and the, you know, all the things that, that go into that particular realm of it. They're also doing little boys, they're also doing slave labor, um, indentured servitude, all that kind of different stuff. Um, and, and so I don't want to, I don't want to belittle that there's another component to it with, you know, children's slavery for labor. Um, but the, the, the abuse part of it really um, hit a deep chord in my soul. And um, I'd love to get to a point to where I'm funding teams to go rescue and, you know, um, to really take a bite out of that. It's so wrong on so many levels. These people's lives will never be the same. It's like you're born into no. this world and, you know, people that love you have all these high hopes for you. And here come along these people who just rob you of your whole life. I just can't imagine. Um, it's so great to hear you say that you want to go from hundreds to thousands, but you know what? Already what you've done, don't make it small because it's not. You know, you've already, it sounds like you've already done so much more than most people. And the fact that you're turning, you know, this pain that happened to you into helping other people because you know what it feels like in a way. Yeah. That for you to do that, I think that, not only is that going to help you, I think, heal and stuff, but it's going to really make these kids feel like they have a chance, especially when they're that young and maybe they hopefully don't remember everything. Although, I don't know, it's so traumatic that it probably will change them regardless. But to be that person to, I don't know, it's just, I find it so selfless, you know, and and that can't be easy for you because then you're looking at the problem every day as you're solving it. It's a reminder. It's a reminder. It's a reminder, you know? Actually, so one of the most difficult parts about it is, is that because I struggle with vulnerability, because I struggle with em em empathy, that becomes a very overwhelming issue to me. Like I have to really, like I can only handle hearing so much uh, because it overloads me. Like I don't have a, a capacity to handle it um, uh, because I don't know what to do with the emotion. Like there's it's a no lot. Yeah, for me, um, it, it's it's been um you know I can only go so far and then I have to I have to take a break. Yeah, but you know mm -hmm. that, so that's good that you realize yeah. that you know do it for yeah. a bit and then turn it off. Yeah, because it's a protection I, mode for yourself too. No, it's not a protection mode for me. It's a protection mode for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, so I have a very good friend, a couple friend of mine, and, and she was telling me about, I go, hey, I'm out. Uh, I can't, I can't handle anymore. And she's like, why? And I was like, Don't because ask. if I go too much further, you know, my answer is, let me go to the closet. I'm going to get out my gun and we're going to go. And um, so I have to, I have to really, you know, and I know that I'm going to have to, the, the more that I get into it, the more uh, deep that we get into rescue and recovery. Uh, and when I say recovery, I mean rehabilitation for them, helping them emotionally, physically, and all the craziness that goes into what happens to them. So for example, if you're a 13 year old girl that you've been bought and sold as a prostitute, there's a very, there's a very real chance 
that you have prostitution charges on your record, mm. which is absolutely ludicrous. What what little girl as a four, five, six, eight, ten year old girl wakes up one morning and goes, hey, I think I want to be a prostitute for the rest of my life. Um, those girls aren't there willingly. They're there because they were broken and sold or programmed to be there. And they think it's normal because they've been programmed. Yep. And so, you know, we uh, we have an organization that works with attorney generals and lawyers to change these laws so that when those girls come out of that, we can actually give them a fresh start to help them get them marketable job skills without felony offenses. And it's a big, long process. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. But it's the least we could do. Yeah. So, um, and there's some stories. Yeah. I, I could see when you were saying that about you need to stop sometimes. It's almost like you can go from helping to hating really quick. Yeah, so it's a it's a it's a movie that really resonated with me a lot. It's called the, um, the Machine Gun Preacher. Okay. And in that movie, he's a Christian missionary to Africa, and at one point, he becomes so consumed with the hatred of the problem that he starts killing the bad guys. And this is all true story. I could see uh, that though. I could see that happen. Like we're all just can go so far. Like. And uh, he uh, gets confronted in the show that he's become the monster that he hated. Mm. Um, important lesson there that if we're not careful with our own soul, that we really can become the thing that we fought against. So true. Even so, like something as simple as you growing up, you grow up in an abusive home. You know, how many times do you hear about now that person's abusive and there's a cycle, right? Even something as simple as that, like not, it's not simple, but something is common, right? That, of course, what we do, what we see, it's like, I think most people might disagree with me, but I really think that we all have that level of hatred in ourselves. We can all, I think, to a point, if we're pushed to the limit and we care about something enough and something angers of us enough i think we can all get to a certain point where we have to say you know um i need to take a step back right yep. especially when when you see other people hurting and it's just the anger i can't it just you know it really i don't know i i'm trying not to swear but it really <laughs> it really um it's like how dare you guys do this to children to adults to I can't imagine. So you said that you were able to save a few people. So how did how does that work? So yeah. there's I know it's a huge process, but how does it like you said? So did you physically go in and be able to pull people out, or were you part of the process, or what happens? Yeah. So there's there's a bunch of different ways that this happens. Um, so the situations that I'm talking about is the organization I worked with called me and said this girl is being threatened that her pimp is going to kill her she needs out um we can't find any reasonable plane tickets um can you help us so i am really good at getting flights for super cheap oh good um, to and know so, and got her yeah um i flew my buddy to iceland for 150 bucks round trip okay so we'll so, talk about this on another episode yeah definitely because i need this yes so what I did was I 
and and I got them tickets for these girls at half the cost that they were seeing. Um, and what it does is it allows us to fly twice as many girls with their budget. That's that's what I mean. And we do stuff like uh, we we man the Super Bowls and we we run super big rescues and search searches for girls that have come up missing in that area uh, because the attorney generals of the United States put out a letter, the number one largest sex trafficking event of the year is the Super Bowl. Wow. I would never put those two things together. How horrific. Most people don't. How awful. Most people don't. Because when you first said, you know, that you helped some people get out of the cities, I'm thinking, you know, the slums of India, or I'm thinking like somewhere on the other side of the world. But this is like the States. United States. As a matter of fact, here's a number that's scary. Right now, there's 260,000 children in the United States that are at risk for sexual exploitation in the sex slave trade. Oh, my God. So what can we do? Like 260,000. Oh my God. So. Yeah. There's a couple of things that can be done. You know, the first thing is, is that, you know, you have to understand the signs. You have to understand how these are, things are happening. Um, and they typically are not help happening in well-adjusted homes, right? Um, happening in broken homes with abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, whatever. Um, but it's really important that we just educate our children on, you know, don't get in a van, you know, mm-hmm. stay in contact with your parents. There's a bunch of those kind of things that could be done that would really cut down the numbers. Mm. I think we need to all pay attention to what's going on sometimes. Not be nosy, but pay attention to what's going on in our communities, on our streets, in our neighbors' homes sometimes. If you notice something, it's a little bit, you know, out of the ordinary, or sometimes it's just that gut, you know, that gut feeling. I think it's okay to follow through, you know, most of the time we'll be wrong, but if we could save and, and if we're right that one time, you know, one person in 260,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but if that's your kid, that's a lot. You know, if that if that one person you save is your child or somebody, you know, you'd think differently about saving one person, you know, like 260 is a hell of a lot. But there's a lot more people out there than just me and you. That's just the U.S. Mm. But I'm saying there's also we've got to have maybe triple that amount to be able to stop it. Right. I mean, people who are really, really engaged you know, so be part of that community. Like, um, it's bad enough when it happens, like what happened to you is terrible. And I can't imagine on top of that, leaving your home and having to, it's just, I just, I can't imagine it. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about today? I mean, that's pretty heavy, right? I mean, when you hear that, yeah, it really causes you to have to take a step back and take a deep breath. Makes me want to cry it's... and makes me want to get in my car and scream at the top of my lungs too. Yep. And uh, it's it can be very overwhelming. 
And you know, it's really important that we understand that the efforts of just of just one parent can really make a difference. Um, and it's also, you know, not to make it about this, but also is the importance of keeping the traditional family, you know, together, the the what do they call that? The nucleus family family together. Um, and when there are those issues of alcoholism and drug abuse and, you know, um, um, uh, I mean, we've heard about this, the single mom who's cycling through boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend, right? All of those are contributing factors that end up mm. being able to move something into potential sexual exploitation, if not outright being sold. So... I mean, um, even if we're paying attention, it can happen right under our noses. But if we're not paying attention, like, there's no hope. You know, so. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say very likely because I don't like to live in fear, but it, it's likely, right? 260,000 kids um, is not an insignificant number. No, no. And there's probably a lot more than that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's just. How do you live it after that, right? <laughs> I just. Yeah, I don't know where to go from here. I'm just, um, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for taking a stand and and being vulnerable enough to, to admit what happened and to not be ashamed because you shouldn't be. It's not something that you did. You didn't do this to somebody else. It was done to you. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you're helping people, it's like, what a better purpose than to come full circle and really you say you haven't changed that much and I've only known you for what, 45 minutes. But from that first episode to meeting with you today, it sounds like you have. Yeah. Oh, hopefully (laughs) you're your own worst critic. So maybe I'm just being hard on myself. (laughs) So what's in the future for you? What, uh, what else do you have going on? Well, tomorrow night's the, um, uh the final episode so we get to see who wins oh is it the final oh okay right um you're gonna get to see some really cool stuff i'm in the finale um i'm on the last episode yes um so i think uh, i'm gonna shock quite a few people tomorrow night if they weren't already shocked last week (laughs) Um, and then um you know from there i just um um you know i i'm looking at moving forward in um, even before I have the funds, I'm looking at getting a command unit, an FBI command unit here in Nashville. Uh, and then we're going to run a, a search uh, and rescue mission next year. Hopefully, God willing, all this COVID stuff goes away. We were actually going to have it scheduled much sooner, but because of the situation, there's just no way to get through all the red tape. Um, so that's part of it. Um, it's amazing. Looking looking forward to getting back to my my drug addiction of international travel um, <laughs> multiple trips that were supposed to be happening this year that are not happening at all um you know, yeah and just to build my network marketing company you know using my voice that i have there and that i've been given through uh the higdon group and the show um you know and just Kind of seeing what seeing what opens up next, what what that looks like. Because even I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's day by day. Things are changing so much, you know. And what you said about COVID, it's true. It brings all that red tape and everything. But it also scares the hell out of me. Not because of COVID itself, 
but because of all the people we can't get to because we can't get to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we'll have to talk about this travel thing because I need to learn these secrets from you. Um, I want to start traveling to places and making a difference and um, being able to do it a little cheaper. We'll have to figure that out. <laughs> Easy. I can help you with that. Anybody who wants help with that, um, you know, flights have become my baby. Um, I'm beating Google flights on average by 30%. Wow. Um, and then if it's an international flight, if you have a little bit of flexibility in your schedule, I can save you a minimum of 50, 60%, if not 90. Okay. I'm putting your number at the top of my list for next time I go. Yeah. So overall, did you enjoy being on the show? Absolutely. Uh, anytime you can share and connect, it's a good thing. And, you know, one of the things that I love most about network marketing is connecting. Um, I don't know what happens today. Uh, I don't know what this does. And we don't know what your show's going to do in a year from now, right? And maybe there's some girl that's listening to this a year from now who's going through the most horrific abuse. And she hears this, and then she gets free because of it. So I, I always look at every relationship, every connection, and every opportunity to speak that way. I don't know what the future consequences are or the future ramifications, but if we're really doing it to make a difference, I think good things happen. Yeah, we just never know. But in one way, I hope that there isn't anyone out there that, list, you know, because that just proves our point that it's just too common. But in another way, you're absolutely right. If we could just help, like I said, one person, it's still one person. One life is still a lot. Yeah, it really is. It is like... It's, it's hard to get lost in the numbers when they're so big, but when you think of a face to that number, it's like doctors that talk about patients as a number, you know, no, this is somebody's mother. This is somebody's, you know, with hopes and dreams and a heartbeat. Well, it's never just one person though, right? So it's a mother, it's a father, it's a son, it's a daughter, it's, it's a mother or a father of the abuser, right? I mean, it's never just one person. And even if somebody's listening that perhaps isn't in that situation, but when we talked a little bit about how to have the family connected and how to be available for your kids to come and talk to you and yeah. what you were saying about boyfriend after boyfriend, like just be aware that the decisions you make, your children are watching. Absolutely. They're watching and they're thinking that what you're doing is okay. Um, we all make mistakes, all of us, nobody's perfect. Um, but if we realize we're making the mistakes, we need to stop, especially if we're parents, especially if we're around children and we need to, you know, the one thing I think we really need to teach our kids is how to love themselves, how to protect themselves and how to be better people so that they can feel when something's not right. Yeah. So if you're, you know, you're a parent out there, we're, this show isn't made to scare you. It's made to open your eyes a little bit to share some awareness. Um, yeah. And, and where can people find you so that we'll, we'll share some links in the, in the notes. Um, if people want to reach out to you or have questions, or maybe they want to uh, help with this organization that you're working with. Yeah. So, I mean, you can find me anywhere at my website, jenrankin.com. Um, I've actually set up a, uh, uh, a separate kind of like, who am I page? 
Um, I'll send that to you when we're done. And it's got all my connections on there. LinkedIn, like you just Google my name, you'll find me. Like there's not too many of me. So, and I don't know who wins tomorrow, but I'm hoping it's you. But, but. Stay tuned. I'm on, a, I'm on an NBA. I can't say who won or who lost. I know you're bound to contract people. I know, but uh, you'll be happy tomorrow night. So. I'll be, I'll be watching tomorrow. You know, it was so great to meet you today. And again, thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for protecting those that can't be protected. And um, thank you for your service and, you know, all the great things. I really do appreciate you. And uh, you've taught me some things today. So I really appreciate you coming on here. No problem. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.